So good that you could come out and see us as you came out in a snowstorm. I know it wasn't easy for you to get here, and I believe the Lord's going to bless your heart as we study his word here tonight. So, so grateful that you're here. I'm also very grateful that we have the technology that a lot of people are listening online here tonight. So we want to welcome all of you who are listening from not just from our area, from all over. Uh, Earlier in the week, we were getting calls that people were wanting to come up from Colorado Springs and from the Denver area to the Prophecy Update. So I'm glad that you're able to join us anyway. And so we're looking forward to tonight. As we close 2021, looking forward to a new year, uh, 2022. So tonight in our Prophecy Update, which I've entitled The Nation's Rage, if you open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2, in Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28. I'll be reading from a number of verses and references of Scripture tonight, but I'm going to uh, to have the teaching be based around Psalm chapter 2, Psalm in the middle of your Bible, in Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28. And again, the nation's rage. In Psalm chapter 2, which is a messianic psalm, we do read, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derison. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. In verse 7, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, that you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash, dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, verse 10 tells us, Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in a way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And then in Luke chapter 21 The words of Jesus as he's speaking about the signs of his coming in the end of the age. We read that, and there will be signs in the sun, verse 25 of Luke chapter 21. In the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations. Where perplexity to see in the waves roaring. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples in us that men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Lord, we do pray on this New Year's Eve as we come to the end of another difficult year. We do thank you, Lord, for your provision and for your mercy and for your grace. Lord, as we have seen the things going on around us, Lord, as we've seen um, the things nationally, politically, economically, culturally, 
Lord, we see a pandemic that continues. There seems to be no end. Lord, with broken hearts yesterday, we saw many people lose their homes and the things that they own and the places that they live. And it, Lord, it was unbelievable. We see the violence that is going on even in their own state. A senseless shooting of innocent people. Lord, we know that there's so much upheaval and there's confusion. Lord, there's fear in the hearts of men and women to see all these things and wondering what's going on. I think about an interview of a man last night that in tears, losing his home and his neighborhood, that as he talked about the things that have gone on, even here in Colorado, wondering if there's any hope. And Lord, we know that tonight as we come to this place, that there is hope, a living hope. There is a kingdom that is coming that's going to last forever. We know that uh, we are a part of that and that your word will be fulfilled, every dot and tittle. I pray that you would just stir our hearts as we talk about these things to what does it mean for us as, as we enter into a new year. How do we conduct ourselves? What our speech should be like? Lord, our faith and our love towards others. I pray that we would be impacted in knowing that we are here for such a time as this in these perilous times that we are in to be light, to give a message of hope, to stand for righteousness and what is true. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that we would be settled in our seats and, Lord, that we would be attentive to the things that you want to show us through your word as we look for the soon return of Jesus Christ to come for his church as you are getting your bride ready for the blessed hope that is before us. So we give you this time as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And as we close another year, I think that most of us, if not all of us, would say that 2021 was another challenging year. So much has happened, and it seems like the world is changing so rapidly. So much of it is hard to put it into perspective. But I'm very thankful, and we are blessed, that we can look at the prophecies of the Word of God. And we've talked about, even recently, going through Matthew's Gospels, we went through that section called the Olivet Discourse, that Jesus telling his disciples, and those words were recorded for all eternity, so that we can know what are the signs of his coming and the end of the age. We do know that Jesus promised that he would come back and he will establish his kingdom. And the Bible gives us lots of information about the events that will happen right prior to his return. And in that Olivet Discourse that we read part of it here in Luke chapter 21, Matthew 24 that we went over on Sunday morning not long ago in our study of Matthew, also in Mark chapter 13, that we know that Jesus talked about those events that will take place. He called them the birth pangs. And we looked at that quite extensively. 
He said, first of all, that you take heed because there's going to be false prophets and teachers on the scene deceiving. And we know that he would say that as these are birth pangs, there's always been false teachers and false prophets on the scene all through church history. But what we're seeing now is shadows of what's going to be the reality in that seven-year period called the tribulation period that is spoken of in the book of Revelation in chapter 6 through 19. And as we know that the book of Revelation tells us that in the beginning of the tribulation period that the false teachers and prophets on the scene, but it's going to culminate, it's going to come the reality, the culmination of these things, the birth pangs that happen is going to burst something in the tribulation period, and that is that there's going to be one that is called the Antichrist, that he will be on the scene, and he will deceive the world with lying signs and wonders, as Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. There will be earthquakes, Jesus said, and famines and pestilence. And there's always been pestilence and famines in the last 2,000 years since Jesus said those words. But we know that it's going to come to, again, a culmination to where in the book of Revelation, it speaks that 13 times the word pestilence is used. We know that the fourth writer in Revelation chapter 6, when he comes on the scene riding that horse, that a quarter of the earth is going to be killed. It's a lot of people. That is all of South America, North America, and Western Europe, as there are going to be pestilence and famine, as the scripture tells us, when the fourth seal is opened up. We know that we've been going through a worldwide pandemic. COVID uh, has been in place for two years now. It has forever changed our world and how we travel. Life has been altered as we know it. Economies have crashed, and many mandates have come out. Even the church has been changed. And we're going to see that even the pestilence are going to continue until the return of the Lord. In Ezekiel chapter 38, it speaks about that God will bring fire on that confederation of nations. We're going to talk about Ezekiel 38 in just a little bit. But as we know that fire will come on them, we also see that the word pestilence is used, that God will use it to destroy that invading army against Israel. Jesus said there would be persecutions. And I believe that we can see persecution most definitely in our own nation against the church, against you and I as we get closer to the return of the Lord. He also said that there's going to be lawlessness in Matthew's gospel. And certainly we are seeing more of that to where now uh, it's in our headlines just about every day. We've heard a lot about how the mayors of the major cities are trying to figure out how can we stop the, the rapid in, in increase of violent crimes, shootings and murders and, and assaults that are taking place, property damage and auto thefts, which includes smash and grab. It's a real problem. We even saw in Denver this week a senseless shooting of five innocent people that were killed. Jesus said, as we read in chapter 21, that men's hearts are going to be failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken, verse 26. The seas and the waves will roar, as we saw and just read. What does that mean? Does it mean that there's going to be tsunamis? Is it speaking about hurricanes? We see and we hear a lot about, even in the last 24 hours, about global climate change. They call it man-made climate change. We've been in a drought. 
the fires here in Colorado yesterday as we looked in horror and our hearts broke as we saw a thousand homes that would go up in flames. Our neighbors just to the south, unreal in the drought that we've experienced the last six months, the driest on record ever in Colorado in this part of the Front Range. We've seen the fires in California Remember a couple summers ago when we started back up and we had some services in the backyard? There was literally ash that was falling on us as we were having services. We saw the tornadoes in the Midwest that was unprecedented in December, and many people were killed. An outbreak of over 40 tornadoes. One tornado that was called the Beast, a wedge tornado that ripped through almost 200 miles of terrain, killing many people. These are the shadows of what will be much worse in the tribulation period. So there's a lot that is going on. And the stage is set and and the curtain is about ready to be opened up for the final act of mankind. And on this New Year's Eve, I like to talk about how the nations will play a role in the end time scenario. Jesus said that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Luke tells us that there will be distress of nations with perplexity, meaning the nations will be facing problems that they don't know how to solve. They don't know how to get out of the distress. We certainly see that all around the world with the nations, that the problems that they are facing in, the, in their own nation, economically, culturally, I believe that we're facing more challenges and upheaval than ever before to have future prophetic implications. So what I'd like to do is to look at God's word at what it has to say about nations that will play a role in the end time scenario. We know that certain nations will take center stage in the end times and in the tribulation period. Nations have always played a major role in the affairs and the events of mankind ever since the beginning. And God has used and directed nations for his purposes. In the Old Testament, we saw that in the book of Exodus, that he used Egypt as his people, as Jacob and his family from 75, ended up in Egypt for 400 years. And then God would bring them out, and he would deal with the Egyptians. We know that God, as we've gone over the Old Testament books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, all those chapters and the minor prophets that were going through, that he used the Assyrians to take the ten northern tribes of Israel off into captivity. And then the Babylonians in 605 BC with the house of Judah would go off into captivity. We know in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, we're going to study the book of Daniel when we get to February, but in Daniel chapter 2, it's called the foundation of Bible prophecy. And in that chapter, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he wanted to have the wise men tell him the dream and the interpretation of the dream, but they could not do that. So Daniel, that man of God, said, I will, and he prayed, and the Lord revealed the dream to Daniel and the interpretation. And he comes to Nebuchadnezzar. The, the king of Babylon. And he says, the dream that you had is an image of a man made of different metals. And they would represent the four Gentile kingdoms or empires that would be on the scene from the time of Daniel until the second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes and establishes his kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar, you are that head of gold, as you saw. But your kingdom is going to be replaced by another. It's going to be replaced by the Medo-Persian Empire, the chest and arms of silver. We know that God would use 
Cyrus, Cyrus who was the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, to make a decree that the captivity was over and the Jews could go back and rebuild their temple. But the Medo-Persian Empire would be taken over by Alexander the Great in the Grecian Empire. And then the legs of iron, the fourth empire spoken was the Roman Empire. And there's going to be the feet of iron and clay with the ten toes that will be on the scene as well. The ten toes are the ten kings according to the prophecy and will be in existence ruling when the God of heaven will set up his kingdom which will never be destroyed according to verse 44 of Daniel chapter 2. The Bible says that Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling to all the nations. And in the last world war at the end of the tribulation period, the nations of the world will gather in a valley there called Jezreel in northern Israel, the valley of Megiddo. And Revelation chapter 19 tells us that when Jesus comes back in the second coming of Jesus Christ, and we're going to come back with him, that when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, that the nations are going to stop fighting each other. And even as it says here in Psalm chapter 2, that they will plot a vain, a vain thing. And they will set themselves and take counsel against the Lord, his anointed. And we know that Revelation chapter 19 tells us that out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he shall strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, a fulfillment of what we read here in Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, a messianic psalm, which I've already said, which speaks about the Messiah's reign, written by David. We know that because Peter tells us that in Acts chapter 4, as he quotes from this psalm, he attributed it to David, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in verses 1 through 3, as we read, it speaks about the rebellion of man, and why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us we know that the nations are going to rebel against the Lord and the psalm speaks about how they plot a vain thing and that is they will come against the Lord uh, and you might recall in Matthew chapter 25 in the ending of the Olivet Discourse that Jesus is telling us about the judgment of the nations now remember in Genesis chapter 12 that when God told Abraham that he would make a great nation from his descendants, and in that covenant that he made with them, he said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And I believe that that is true today. And I believe that one of the reasons that we have been blessed as a nation, one of the reasons is because for the most part, for the most part, we have supported Israel. But how long will that last? When Zechariah says Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling to all the nations, you see, we need to understand that Israel will find themselves isolated more. We need to have a biblical worldview. The existence of Israel is not dependent upon any world leader. God's going to defend her. Israel is going to find herself being isolated so much they can't depend on the United States. They can't depend on Western Europe. They can't depend on anyone, and they will end up crying out to the Lord. And then they will see that the Lord will deliver them. And then all of Israel will be saved in that day. In verses 4 through 6, God laughs at their vain plotting. Now, he's not up there laughing. Uh, 
and chuckling. He, he's not worried is what he's telling us about man's governments and plans. That he's going to bring man's governments to an end. Remember that God is sovereign and he is the one that's in control. Can I say that once again? Please remember this, especially as we are entering into an election year. That God sits on the throne, he is sovereign, and he is in control. Amen? And he's not up there wringing his hands and pacing back and forth and saying, Oh, no, you know, they're in control. Or, you know, this person won the election. He's the one that sets those in authority. Romans chapter 13. And will use them for his purposes. Remember the Christmas story that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered for new taxes in the census. And all of a sudden, is this powerful man of the most powerful empire that had come on the scene up to that time, maybe in all world history, the Roman government, that we know that everyone was in transition in the known world. And Joseph took his wife Mary, his spouse wife, that is, and they went to Bethlehem. But Caesar Augustus wasn't in control, was he? He was just a pawn in the hand of the true and the living God that put it into the heart and mind of Caesar Augustus to make that decree so that Joseph and Mary would get to Bethlehem where God said his son was going to be born. The decree that God gives to the nations, the Father has declared of Jesus that you are my son as we continue the read in verses 7 through 9. That he will rule and break the nations with a rod of iron. In other words, it's going to be an enforced rule. It won't be a study for tonight, but when we go through the book of Zechariah and our Wednesday night service online that we're going to be looking at in just a few weeks in January and February, that we're going to read about those nations during the millennium reign that do not come up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, that Jesus is going to deal with them. The Lord will deal with them. So he's going to come and rule the nations. He will come with a rod of iron. And tonight what I'd like to do is talk about some of the nations that are mentioned that are mentioned in the latter days leading to the return of the Lord, those nations that are mentioned in the tribulation period. As I've already mentioned briefly, Daniel chapter 2. You can see the parallel chapter in Daniel chapter 7. What Bible scholars say of the end time studies that there's going to be a revived Roman Empire or a new Roman Empire. Daniel chapter 2, as I've already made mention of it as you read it, that there was the legs of iron, which was the fourth empire, and that is the Roman Empire. It, will, it was on the scene during the life of Jesus. And then there is the, the feet of iron mingled with clay and iron, ten toes, Daniel tells us, the kingdom is going to be partly strong and partly fragile. Daniel chapter 7, you see that Daniel, he has a vision. And it's of four beasts. And they parallel the same four empires mentioned in chapter 2 of Daniel. And the fourth beast that, that Daniel saw, he doesn't say what kind of beast it was. He only says that it was terrible and it was dreadful. And he wanted to know about it. And he looked at that fourth beast, which was the Roman Empire, and it had ten horns, which correlates with the ten toes of chapter 2. We know that we are told that they are ten kings. And then in chapter 7 of Daniel, some further information is given to us. Of those ten horns that represent the ten kings, there's a little horn that would rise up. He would speak pompous words. 
And he had a greater appearance than the others. And of course, Little Horn is the title of the Antichrist. And in the tribulation period, there's going to be this new Roman Empire or this revived Roman Empire is what Bible scholars call it. I believe Daniel very clearly tells us and shows us through his book that it will be connected to and associated with the old Roman Empire that was over most of Western Europe and Northern Africa and Western Asia. And the ten kings are going to rise up in this revived Roman Empire that will be headed up by the little horn that is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be a political leader. He comes on the scene in the beginning of the tribulation period. Listen, the tribulation period starts with him making a covenant with Israel for seven years. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. That will begin that final week, Daniel's 70th week, which is the tribulation period. In Revelation chapter 6, chapter 6 through 19, which speak of the tribulation period, the tribulation period begins with the rider on the white horse. He comes, and he has a bow, but he doesn't have an arrow. So he comes with peaceful means, and he is coming, conquering unto conquer. Now, there are some that mistake the white rider to Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus. It is the Antichrist that comes on the scene in the beginning of that seven-year period. And he's conquering and the conquer. So he's a political leader. He will be an economic leader. We know from Revelation chapter 13, after he goes into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, as Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that he will go into the temple of God. He will proclaim himself as God to be worshipped as God. And when he does that, he will set up a worldwide economic system that you will not be able to buy or sell unless you take his allegiance, his mark, either on your forehead or, or on your hand. We know that the world today that there is talk of a world economic system. The world economic forum is wanting to work towards that, that we need to come together economically. There's going to be the Antichrist that's going to be a religious leader. He's going to be supporting the woman, the woman riding the beast in Revelation chapter 17, supported by the kings of the nations. It is a false church that will be on the scene. As Paul talks about it again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And halfway in the tribulation period, the Antichrist will destroy the woman, as we read in Revelation chapter 17, because he alone wants to be worshipped. He alone wants to be worshipped as God because he's under the direct influence and control of Satan. And Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. And he will proclaim himself as God and tell the world to worship him. So he will set up that, that system to where he alone is to be worshipped. And anyone who does not take the allegiance to the Antichrist and take his mark is going to be put to death. We know that he's going to be a military leader. That he's going to lead the world into the last world war at the end of the tribulation, the battle of Armageddon. When we do our study in Daniel, we will talk more specifically of the influence of the Antichrist. Listen. He is a real person that will come on the scene. The Bible speaks much of him. You need to remember that the tribulation period is the most documented period of time that we have in the Bible. There are some that will come along and say that the Antichrist just represents 
government. No, it's an individual that will rise up to proclaim himself as God, and he will be the head of this revived Roman Empire. I do not hold to the view that some have that the United States is the revived Roman Empire that is spoken of of Daniel. I think that he makes it so clear that it's connected to the old Roman Empire. It does not mean that somehow the United States in this is going to be brought into that revived Roman Empire somehow. But we know that it is connected to the old Roman Empire. The things that we see today, listen, are shadows of what will happen in the tribulation period. I think that COVID-19 has increased the thought of a need of a world coming together with government mandates and tracking. And as I've already mentioned, the World Economic Forum and climate change that we're hearing so much about that there is a call for a one-world order to meet all the challenges of our world. As Jesus said, that the nations are going to be in distress with perplexity. They don't know how to get out of the problems. And the world is looking for that leader that's going to put it all together. And I believe the catalyst that's really going to launch that, that we need to come together as a one-world government, one-world economic system, one-world religious system, is an event that's called the rapture of the church when we are taken out. But we're seeing the things around us, keep it in mind, that speak of these things, or shadow of these things, the birth pangs that point to what's going to take place in that final seven-year period. I think that world governments will move, and don't be surprised, as well the United States, move to control people's life, to, to track people, to control people's wealth, and even religious life and spiritual life. Secondly, nations mentioned in the last days. We find it in Ezekiel chapter 38. Many of you, you're familiar with Ezekiel 38. It's so important that we understand in Ezekiel in chapter 37 as he talks about a nation that was dead that comes alive once again. They will inhabit the mountains of Israel. They will rebuild the ancient cities. They'll plant the land once again. That was fulfilled in 1948 as they became a nation once again. An absolute miracle. It was the super sign that we are in the last days. God started the end time clock in 1948. As Israel is back into the land. And as we look at Ezekiel chapter 38, it speaks of a war in the latter days that has not happened. Many of you, you know the prophecies. We just went over it not long ago in our study of Ezekiel. But we know that there's going to be a confederation of nations that will invade Israel. And we see that as in chapter 38 of Ezekiel, Son of man, set your face against Gog in the land of Magog, the prince of Rush and Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh and Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army and horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed of the great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Livia are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tamara, and, and the far north of all of its troops, many people with you. And prepare yourself and be ready, you and your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. Verse 8, this is important. After many days, 
you will be visited. Listen, in the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back with the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, and they were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. We know that once again that we are told that it will take place in the latter days that you will come up this confederation of nation against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days, verse 16. Some people say it's a war that's already taken place. No, it is yet future. It could be perhaps the next major war that we see in Middle East. The confederation of nations that speak of Russia, and I would have you review the teaching that we went over, that it talks about Gog and, and the land of Magog. Gog is a title. Magog speaks of Russia. As we know that uh, it is uh, Persia, which is Iran. The other um, nations that are mentioned includes Turkey and Sudan, and it speaks of Libya and some of the others, this large invasion, those alliances have already been made. And because of the war in Syria, the civil war that we see entrenched in Syria to the north, we see Russian troops and tanks and military equipment that is there and Iran that is entrenched in in Syria, as well as Turkey, all making alliances. It's all there ready to go. They're going to come into the land to take the spoils, to take the booty, to invade in the north, coming into the land with a huge, huge uh, invasion against Israel, this great army. There are stage-setting events that are taking place right now. The alliances are there. We know that Iran is wanting to flex its muscles there in the Middle East. Iran, with the nuclear ambitions, that the nations right now, the Western world, the United States and Western Europe, going back to the negotiating tables, trying to negotiate an, another nuclear deal with Iran as they're developing nuclear bombs or desiring to do so, even though they you know, say that they're not, that everyone knows that that's what they want to do. They call the United States the great Satan and Israel the little Satan. Their foreign policy is driven by the mullahs, the, the, the ayatollahs, the Islamic leaders that believe that they are going to bring in the 12th iman, the Islamic messiah, and that they're going to, to take over the world with, with you know, a Muslim world, a caliphate, and they're going to do it with weapons of mass destruction. They're going to destroy the United States. They want to destroy Israel. And here's the thing you need to understand. It's not just rhetoric. When Israel gets threatened by a nation that we're going to annihilate you, they take it very, very serious. When you go through the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, one of the things that you see and one of the things that you learned that when Hitler began to take the Jews and put them into the ghettos and gather them up, they said, you'll be okay. Nothing's going to happen to you guys. You'll be fine. We're going to gather you up. And, and they were fooled. They thought nothing was going to happen to them. And we see, of course, the atrocities and the horror of the Holocaust that took place. Six million Jews that was slaughtered in Europe in World War II. When someone says that we're going to wipe you off the face of the earth, they take it very, very seriously. We know that Iran is, is being driven by its foreign policy 
by the Ayatollahs that want to bring in this caliphate, this Islamic caliphate. Thirdly, I want to talk about the United States. I think that one of the most asked questions that I get email or I get asked on the radio or whatever is where is the United States in Bible prophecy? And the answer that I have tonight, or at least what I have studied and what most Bible teachers that I have read say that the United States is not specifically mentioned in the end times. It seems to be absent in the end time scenario. Now, we do know that there's a lot of countries that are not mentioned in end time prophecy. Matter of fact, the Western Hemisphere is not mentioned. North and South America, Australia, South Africa. And I think, though, that the United States not specifically mentioned is very, very significant since we are the world superpower. We are the strongest nation economically, militarily. And I would think that we would be mentioned in the end times. It's interesting that Israel is mentioned in the scriptures over 2,300 times. Babylon is mentioned 300 times. Iran is mentioned 53 times. Russia is mentioned five times. But what about America? Well, I think that America is very hard to find. There are some thoughts that people come up with, some suggestions. I'll read it to you. One is in Isaiah chapter 18. In Isaiah chapter 18, there's this proclamation against the nations that Isaiah is giving. And in chapter 18, it's an unnamed nation, but, but let me read the first couple of verses. That woe to the land shadow with buzzing wings. They say, well, that's the eagle, the symbol of the United States, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, which sends ambassadors by the sea, even vessels of reed on the water saying, go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth of skin, to a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down whose land the rivers divide. All the inhabitants of the world and dwellers of the earth, when he lifts up a banner on the mountains, you see it. And when he blows a trumpet, you hear it. So we, we have this description of a powerful nation, and some say that this is speaking of the United States. It speaks about a land divided by the rivers. That's the Mississippi River and all of this. The problem is, contextually, it doesn't really fit. Here is Isaiah is making these proclamations against the nations. In chapter 17, he's speaking against Syria. And by the way, Isaiah chapter 17, you want to jot down in your notes that it's very important that the burden against Damascus will cease from being a city and it will become a ruinous heap. In other words, there's a prophecy given in Isaiah chapter 17 that Damascus which is when we go to Israel, we stand up on the, the border of Syria. They're up on the mountains in the Golan Heights. We look through the valley, and we're closer to Damascus than we are to the Sea of Galilee. And on a clear day, you can see the outskirts of Damascus. That's how close we are to Damascus. And Damascus boasts that they are the oldest continuous city without being destroyed. In other words... That Damascus, we know that, as you read in the Old Testament, that the king of, of Assyria came in and killed the king of Damascus, sitting on his throne. Ahaz goes up to see him, as you study those books of the Old Testament, Second Kings, Second Chronicles. But he didn't destroy Damascus. 
So Damascus, a city 4,000 years old, has never been destroyed. Now Jerusalem has been destroyed a few times. Destroyed by the Babylonians in 605 B.C. Destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. And rebuilt. But this prophecy is believed has not been fulfilled. That there's going to be a time when Damascus is going to be a ruinous heap. When is that going to happen? Well, it doesn't say. Some have suggested that perhaps it might be associated with Ezekiel chapter 38. That Damascus, as that invading army comes from the north through Syria, comes through that valley that we look through, that somehow Damascus may end up being destroyed. It doesn't say for sure. Maybe it's going to happen in the tribulation period. So Isaiah chapter 17, chapter 19 deals with Egypt. So most scholars believe that Isaiah chapter 18 that I just read from deals with Ethiopia. Probably not talking about the United States. What about Revelation chapter 18? As many of you know, that it speaks about Babylon, commercial Babylon. Chapter 17 speaks of religious Babylon that's going to be destroyed in the tribulation period. But then chapter 18 speaks of how it's going to be uh, commercial Babylon that is going to be destroyed. Let me read a couple verses to you in chapter 18, verse 9. That the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys the merchandise anymore. For in such one hour, verse 17, great riches came to nothing Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? Some even, when 9-11 happened, that there are some who tried to apply it to New York and the Twin Towers. New York, of course, being a great commercial center of the world. And, and the Twin Towers fell. Uh, God judged Babylon. The towers fell in one hour, as described in Revelation chapter 18. Smoke was seen from the ships. The problem with that is that it was taken, chapter 18, completely out of context. Uh, chapter 18 is going to happen in the tribulation period, which has not happened. Second of all, it is a final judgment, never to be found again. Well, we know that the Twin Towers, even though they fell, they have rebuilt Freedom Tower. So is it the United States? Is it symbolic of Babylon? There are some that have suggested that perhaps it could be. Many scholars believe that Babylon has to be rebuilt. Babylon was in, the, in of course, the capital of Babylon, it is in the country Iraq. It is mostly ruins right now. Here we see in chapter 18, and this is where the debate is, it speaks of a seacoast city. Babylon was landlocked. So is Babylon going to be rebuilt? You can do your own study, and you can tell me what you think. But many scholars believe that it will be rebuilt. I don't know about that. Revelation chapter 12 some say the United States is mentioned there. Chapter 12 is when the Antichrist comes against Israel in the middle of the tribulation period. We know that Israel will then flee as he goes into the temple to proclaim himself as God, sets up an image of himself. 
that the Jews will say, no, we will not bow down to your image. We will not worship what it is that you have set up. And they will flee because the Antichrist will come against the Jews at that time. Zechariah chapter 13, chapter 14 gives indication that many Jews will be killed at that time, but there will be a remnant of them that will flee to the rock city of Petra out into the wilderness for three and a half years where God will provide for them. In chapter 16 of Isaiah, you might write it down. Send the lamb to the rulers of the land from Shelah, that is Petra, of the wilderness. And let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. Moab, when you stand in Jerusalem or stand in Bethlehem and you look across, you're looking at Moab. That's where, that's where Petra is. So it's believed that they are going to go to the rock city of Petra. In Revelation chapter 12 is speaking of that. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, is what we read in Revelation chapter 12. And fleeing to the wilderness because of the wrath of the Antichrist, the great eagle, some say, is America, and some kind of large airlift. I don't believe that. I just think that we let Scripture interpret Scripture and in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, it speaks specifically of the exodus of the Jews out of Egypt. And the Lord said, you have seen what I did on the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, here's a couple thoughts where I think that America perhaps could be mentioned. Ezekiel chapter 38, back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 38. This, this next major war that is going to take place in the Middle East, that we see that in Ezekiel chapter 38, <coughs> that confederation of nations that are going to attack Israel, but there's another confederation of nations. And they will protest on behalf of Israel. They won't get involved with the war, but they will be protesting. I'll read it to you in verse 12. Those nations coming to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited, speaking of how they came back into the land, and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take plunder? So there's this confederation of nations, Sheba and Dedan, that speaks of Saudi Arabia, and then the merchants of Tarshish and her young lions. Now, who is Tarshish? Tarshish, you remember in our study of Jonah. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. What did he do? He goes to Joppa on the coast, and he goes the opposite way. He goes to Tarshish. And Tarshish was, uh, scholars believe, a place there, that area of Spain. So if it's speaking of Tarshish, of Spain, that reference, the young lines are the Americans, South America, Central America, it tied to North America. Or some have suggested it speaks of Britain. Uh, again, it would speak of the United States, the young lines, Canada, Australia. And they come along, they're protesting on behalf of Israel, saying to that invading army, that massive army coming into, as God says, and notice when you read Ezekiel 38, he says, I will put a hook in your jaw and I will bring you in. Remember how we talked about the Assyrians 
how brutal that they were. When they came and took the ten northern tribes off into captivity, you know what they did? Is they put fish hooks into the people's mouths and drug them off into captivity. And it's like the Lord is saying, I'm going to put fish hooks in your mouths. And I'm going to drag you into the land. And Saudi Arabia is interesting. For years, we, we looked at this and thought Saudi Arabia is a sworn enemy of Israel. And even though they don't have a peace treaty, the relationship between Israel and Saudi Arabia is better now than it ever has been because Saudi Arabia is afraid of Iran. And Iran, that they have the proxies there in Yemen that send you know, missiles over into Saudi Arabia. They've even bombed the airport. Saudi Arabia is very much afraid of Iran. So in today's alliances, it makes sense that Saudi Arabia is protesting Iran and Turkey and those nations coming into Israel on behalf of Israel. And the United States, are we going to not be involved but protesting on behalf or are we part of the young lines? It could be. But here's the thing to remember. That Israel's not going to receive help from the United States or anyone. That God's going to intervene. And he talks about how he does that and he comes against those armies. We see here as we continue, the U.S. not specifically mentioned, it could mean a couple implications for us. As the revived Roman Empire will be a major factor in the tribulation period, it could mean that the United States will decrease in power and influence. Why is that? I try not to get in too much speculation or, you know, a lot of sensationalism. But it could be that Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 6. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 6 intrigues me. It also kind of worries me. Because in Ezekiel chapter 39, it speaks of the cleanup, the destruction of those armies, and then it speaks of the cleanup uh, of that battle. It's the only place in the whole of Scripture where it speaks about the cleanup of the battle. But in Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 6, that I will send fire on Magog, that's on this invading army, and on those who live securely in the coastlands, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Let me read that again to you. I will send fire, God says, on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Securely or confidentially, that, that have confidence of where they are. Could it be that somehow there's going to be this nuclear exchange against America? I, I don't know. What is being spoken of in verse 6? We know it will be fulfilled. We could decline in power and influence because we decline economically. We have a huge debt that keeps growing. I mean, how do we get out of nearly $30 trillion debt? You don't get out of that. I believe that we are moving towards socialism faster than anyone ever thought we would. And we see it, don't we? When I was in Venezuela or in Peru, some of the students there, I, I spoke of this when I came back. The students there from Venezuela, they talked about how they left Venezuela because it's 80% extreme poverty in Venezuela. And it was those of us who were old enough, you know, 40 years ago, Venezuela was a wealthy nation. They exported oil. But they were telling us that what was happening in the universities, they began to teach the students and the young people 
that, you know, about socialism. And the saying goes that the things that are taught in the universities to our generation, our young generation, are going to be the policies of the future. We know that our universities are, are speaking of those things, socialism. Our young people are more open to it. And it concerns us. And they said the things that we are hearing from the United States are the things that were spoken of 40 years ago. It could be that we decline in power and influence because we're declining spiritually, morally. We're getting further away from God and the Word of God, calling good evil and evil good. I believe that COVID... I don't believe that God sent COVID, but I believe that he's used COVID. And I believe that he's using COVID to shake up the church, to expose the church in a lot of ways. COVID has brought distraction, confusion, so much division in the church and fear. But I believe that God wants to use it to purify his bride to get us ready because he's going to take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth in the blessed hope. And we are seeing that there are churches that in progressive theology and in false doctrine that are moving more towards you know, that against the scriptures, that speak against the scriptures and the sovereignty of God and, and you know, the, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that they will be a part of that false church. But we, the church, listen, he's getting us ready and he wants to purify us. And I don't know about you, but I'll speak for me, even as a pastor in the last two years, that the Lord has shown me things that I look at and I think, Lord, I thank you, you've shown me things. It was very hard at the beginning. You know, we were full of fear. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't want people to die and all of this. But how fear is used to shut churches down. And so we look at that and we think about it and we ponder those things. So what I pray is the next thing that perhaps could happen to America, and I hope that this is the case, is that their spiritual revival. Right now, I think the best statistics that I've heard is that between 8 to 10% of Americans now are evangelical Christians or have accepted the gospel, believe in the gospel. Sometimes you'll hear those surveys that, oh, 80% of people in America believe in God. Well, it doesn't mean that 80% are Christians. If 80% of Christians, you know, was America was 80% Christians, we wouldn't be seeing the things that we're seeing. So the best guess is 8 to 10%, which would mean when the rapture happens, about 30 million people will be raptured. I pray that there's spiritual revival. I believe he wants to save a nation. He wants to use us in the days in which you're in. And so many people that get raptured, that it would you know, decline in influence and power and economically and all that. I pray for that being the case. The fourth thing that I'd like to mention, the fourth nation that we need to talk about, we've already have, is Israel. Keep in mind, folks, as we move forward, that Israel is the epicenter of end-time prophecy. 
It is the timetable for God's plan to bring an end to man's rule. Many prophecies cannot happen unless Israel has become a nation. And unfortunately, many in the church, and I think it's a growing trend, have adopted what is called replacement theology. That the church is Israel and that Israel itself, the promises given to Israel have been forfeited. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. And God said that I will bring it to pass. It's a unilateral covenant that he made with Abraham. That I will bring to pass, I will make you a great nation. And to say that Israel has no more future goes against what so much of the, the scriptures tell us. Hundreds of verses of the Old Testament, whole chapters. What Paul says is God cast away his people in Romans chapter 11. He says, certainly not, no way. And he talks about that in that day all of Israel will be saved. He still has a future plan for them. I do not adopt the preterist view that is growing, that the prophecies in the book of Revelation have already happened, most of them historically up to 70 A.D. I don't understand how you can think that, the abomination of desolation when, when Jerusalem was destroyed. Titus came in and destroyed the temple. He didn't desecrate the temple. Titus didn't come in in 70 A.D. and set up an image for himself and, and proclaim himself to be God. And Jesus said, after the abomination of desolation, there'll be tribulations such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. And then he speaks about his coming. So the preterist view makes no sense to me whatsoever to look at it allegorically or spiritually, the things that are in the book of Revelation. Listen, even as Pastor Luke, as he led worship, 300 prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus and the first you know, coming of Jesus, those prophecies were fulfilled to the letter. Do you think that the many prophecies, 200 of them, speaking of a second coming, are just allegory? Or spiritual? No. Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. John, you write these things down the beginning of the tribulation, or the beginning of the book of Revelation, which includes the tribulation period. Write these things down that must shortly take place. Not that they might take place, or it's just spiritual, or it's an allegory. Isaiah chapter 2, when he begins to give the prophecies, he's speaking about the millennium reign. It said, Isaiah, write these things down that will come to pass, that every dot and tittle is going to be fulfilled. The United States is not the focal point of end-time prophecy. Israel is. And it's interesting that Israel has closed its borders because of COVID, and I wonder as people are still making their way to Israel. Matter of fact, in this year, thousands of Jews made their way to Israel to move to Israel. God is still bringing them in. And I believe that God is preparing that nation for what he has for them. I think he's preparing us for what he has for us, the church as well. And again, Israel, many of the prophecies that we see cannot happen unless Israel is a nation once again. And that happened in 1948. So how do we respond to all of this? Very quickly as we're ending here tonight in this New Year's Eve. Because we can look at all these things. Many of you, you know these things. But how do we respond as we go into 2022? Well, back to Psalm 2 in verse 10. That we read that now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. So number one, be wise. Listen, we all need to be wise. 
We need to be discerning. I've already said it's important for us to have a good biblical worldview. Keep growing in the scriptures. Don't get sidetracked with all the things. We want to be informed. I'm not saying don't. We become compassionate about the things that we see going on. We become concerned, certainly. But have a good biblical worldview. Because we're getting closer to the return of the Lord. Sometimes people say, do you think that, that you know, what we see in the fires that are going on, is that a sign of the rapture of the church? Is COVID, is that a sign of the rapture of the church? Is the violence that we're seeing, is that a sign of the rapture of the church? Is, you know, uh, what we see in the church, the church getting at large, further away from the scriptures, is that a sign of the rapture of the church? Listen, the rapture of the church is a signless event. Keep that in mind. There's nothing that needs to happen, no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church. We saw that very clearly in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said, I come when you least expect it. You be the wise servant that's looking for the master's return because I come in an hour that you do not know. It is a signless event. But what we are seeing are the shadows and the contractions of the birth pangs that are happening and will be happening, I believe, at a more rapid pace and with more intensity. Have you noticed how fast and how quickly things are unfolding before us that we thought never would? We thought never would happen that we would see. It's unparalleled. The world is changing so fast. It's like the Lord is saying, wake up. Then I'm coming back soon. Second of all, verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice and trembling. Serve the Lord. Live in the reverence of the Lord and the fear of the Lord and rejoice. Keep moving forward in your walk in the Lord and service to God. As I said, don't get sidetracked by everything that's going on. He said, occupy till I come. How does God want to use you? He wants to use you in this new year. Be the wise servant that is looking for the master's return. And we have the message of hope. In the book of Daniel, remember when the writing was on the wall that he and Daniel chapter uh, 4 there, or chapter 5, and, and Belshazzar, he sees it and he screams and he's full of fear and, and he says, wise men of Babylon, come out. What does it say? They said, we don't know what it says. So finally they brought Daniel out and Daniel says, I'll interpret the handwriting on the wall. And of course it was bad news for Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. But you see, God wants to use you. He wants to use me in these last days to interpret the handwriting that's on the wall. And I, I can't help but think about yesterday as we all were watching in the interviews of people and, and one man in tears saying, my neighborhood's gone, my house is gone, and I drove by King Supers in Boulder and, and thinking about the shootings that took place this year. Why is all these things happening and, and, and all these things taking place, and it's been so hard, and a lot of people are confused, and they are wondering, and you and I have the answers. The answer is Jesus Christ is coming back, and there is hope, and he wants to use us in the day in which we are in. So we are to be ones that we are to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Pray about, Lord, how do you want to use me? 
How do you want to guide me? Be open to his leading. Be flexible. Be a good steward of what he has entrusted to you. Remember Matthew chapter 25, part of the Olivet Discourse was the parable of the talents. He's given you talents. He's gifted you, given you opportunities. Be a good steward of what has been entrusted to you. Number three, that we read in verse 12. They kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in his way when his wrath is kindled a little. But blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who trust in him. He's in control. He knows the end from the beginning. And he is going to bring us home to be with him. And we are going to rule and reign with him in his kingdom. You see Daniel chapter 2, that, that image, that man's kingdom. See, at the end of the dream, this rock came and hit the image in the feet. And that image crumbled and the rock grew. And it speaks about the kingdom of God that's going to last forever. We belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. Man's nations is going to come to a disastrous end. But we trust in him. We belong to a kingdom that will last forever. We belong to a holy nation. And then number four, number four, listen. When you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and grumble, complain, Put all this stuff on social media. When you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice. For your redemption draws near. As we move into 2022, I'm sure that a lot of you feel the same thing I do. We wonder what is going to happen. What's before us? What does 2022 hold? I, I don't know. I wonder about that when it comes to my family, when it comes to the ministry. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds tomorrow. And he has us in his hands, and we can trust him. And we can look to him and keep our eyes on him. And seeing these things, they bother me. Certainly they do, as they do you. But we can look up and rejoice because our redemption draws near. And he's going to come for us. So let's stay strong in the Lord. Let's stay strong in the Lord. On Sunday, we're going to finish our series, you know, moving forward in difficult days. And the title of the message is going to be, as we finish it, running your race well. You have a race to run. So keep your eyes on the Lord. And let's run. And run with joy. And let's rejoice in the Lord. Because we're coming to the finish line, folks. I believe he's coming back. He can come back for us at any time. I don't know the day or the hour. But we see these things going on. We live in incredible days. They're perilous days, but they're incredible days. Rejoice, because our Lord is coming back. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for, Lord, the study tonight. And there's so much more that we could talk about. But we know that you're in control on the th- throne that your word is true and lord that we are here the church to be light to be salt lord to be a witness to interpret the handwriting on the wall that people are seeing all around us to give a message of hope and lord i do pray
that as we finish this year, I know that there are those who are hurting. Lord, we see those around us that are hurting, that have gone through loss, confused. And Lord, we want to bring your comfort to them. And I want to pray for those who are listening here tonight that need your comfort, that you would bring it. You are the God of comfort that comforts us in all of our tribulations. And Lord, I just pray that we would be ones that as we speak of the new year, new beginnings, a new start, that you would help us to be more than ever just desiring to keep our eyes on you and walk with you and trust you. Are there things in our lives that, Lord, that we need to put aside? Maybe it has weighed us down, entangled us, distracted us. Maybe there's sin and carnality that you're telling us to repent of, that we would do that right now tonight before we leave. We don't want to go into another year. We don't want to go into another month or another day and going in the direction we've been going. But Lord, to turn to you if there's repentance that are needed. And I thank you that we can do that. Lord, if there's just correction, you love us. Conviction that is there. To walk closely with you, to know you, to enjoy you, to be used of you in this year. Father, I pray as a church that we would keep true to the gospel and to the word of God. That we would be ones to continue to be used in the message of the gospel in this community and in this state across this country and even in different parts of the world. I thank you that you desire to use us in that way. That we would encourage each other Continue to be in fellowship, strengthening one another, praying for one another, a church that is pleasing to you, that is faithful to you. Not that we're better than anybody else, but Lord, that we continue in the word of God and in prayer. Lord, that we would be patient with one another. Lord, be a light as we go out of this place into our mission fields, in the workplaces, in our neighborhoods. And Lord, I want to pray for anybody who may be listening tonight that you've never made a commitment to Christ. Listen, give your life to him. Jesus went to a cross in his first coming to die for your sins. Because we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus on that cross said, it is finished. He paid the price. He paid the price for you, making atonement for your sins. He did the work, and now you come in faith, believing that he died for you, asking for forgiveness, and believing he rose from the grave. They put him in a tomb, and he rose three days later, and he is alive. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the King of all kings. 
And he says, come and believe in me to be forgiven, to have right relationship with the Father and the hope of eternal life. Jesus is your salvation. It's not you. It's not a church. It's not anything else or anyone else. It is Jesus alone and coming in faith, surrendering your heart to him and calling out to him, believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He loves you. Will you do that? Don't go into the new year without Jesus. If that's you, and you can pray sincerely, even in your home, wherever you're listening. Even if somebody's here tonight to say, Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I come and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for going to the cross for me and dying for me. And I believe you rose again. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, I thank you for this new beginning in this new year as a new child of God. Father, I pray for us that you take us home safely tonight as we just spend a few more minutes in worshiping you, Lord. We want to finish, Lord, not being in a hurry, but just giving thanks to you. So, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name. You guys can go ahead and stand. Um, one thing that I had in my heart going into this prophecy update is I went into my dad's office a couple times and said, you know, what, like, like, what are we learning on Friday, basically? And he said that the main thing that I would want us to walk away from is just trusting God. And sometimes after, like, a lot of info on a prophecy update, we, we don't know quite what to do with it all, but um, I felt the Lord, we both felt the Lord, um, just calling us to write some words down to give us as a congregation to sing to God as we close. Um, some special words, we're not going to sing them again. Um, they, we wrote them down this week. And so I just encourage you guys just to worship to God and just sing back to him. He's the one who comes in majesty. Um, he's the one who we can trust. And so, so we'll just worship the Lord. He's the one who we can trust, and he's the one who's coming again. So let's sing the nation's rage. The nation's rage. But I know you're in control. The nation's rage. The nation's rage. 
bless us as we go out of this place. That you would help us, strengthen us for the task before us, to minister to our families, to be a light to the people around us, linked to us in our lives. Lord, I pray as a church that I think about Paul the Apostle who wrote to the different churches saying that you are known for your faith and love. And I pray that we would be known for that. As people around us are hurting, a community, people displaced from their homes, Lord, going through loss, going through tragedy, confused, full of fear, Lord, that we would be known for our faith and love in you, Lord, and that we would be a light to them. And Lord, that we would be used in this year. Not that we can gain a name for ourselves, but magnify you and your name to give people a message of hope. The only hope that there truly is that Jesus Christ is Lord and died for your sins. And he wants to save you. And he, he wants to, to you to know that he wants to take you to heaven. And you'll be a part of the family of God in a kingdom that will last forever. And Lord, that we be flexible to you. Lord, bless everyone as we go our way. Take us home safely. But Lord, as we start a new year, just a recommitment and a newness in our hearts for you and loyalty and faith and Lord, commitment and devotion in Jesus' name.